This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. My name is Eric Parker, and I currently serve as the managing partner of Parker Shear LLP in Boston. And I graduated from Suffolk Law School, believe it or not, a quarter century ago, exactly 25 years ago in 1986. And since then, have been doing pretty much the same area of work, plaintiffs-oriented tort work. I did start at the beginning doing insurance defense, but then my conscience got the best of me, and I realized where the side of good was and moved to the side of good. So I've been on the plaintiff side for the majority of those years. Our office has satellite offices in Las Vegas, Nevada, Providence, Rhode Island, and soon to be Manchester, New Hampshire. I was fortunate to be asked to participate in the program in January, jump-starting your practice. I think the impetus for the program was this incredible increase in the number of graduating law students and newly minted practitioners who were forming their own practice in large part because of the economic downturn and just the sheer number of unemployed graduates that were faced with, and just an incredible number are starting their own firms, and I think the Advanced Legal Studies Program under Carol Wagon's direction was smart to take this opportunity to provide real nuts and bolts advice on how to be most productive in starting a firm and what you can learn from the lessons of others who've done it before you. My section of the program is going to be addressing strategies for legal marketing in the quote-unquote digital Age. And obviously that uh, is, it means the, the use of the Internet and electronic marketing strategies that were not in existence 25 years ago when I graduated. And if you look at the history of the marketing of legal services in Massachusetts, back 25 years ago and before, there really were very few options. I mean, if you go back before 1977, it was, for the large part, pro there was a prohibition against lawyers advertising their services Sometime in 1977, a case by the name of Bates, B-A-T-E-S, versus the State Bar of Arizona, came down from the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, and it basically ruled that advertising by attorneys was commercial speech protected by the First Amendment. As a result, it didn't completely allow lawyers to do anything they wanted to do, but it certainly opened the gates and allowed lawyers to begin marketing in more traditional ways. There were still limitations on things like, uh, you know, anti-solicitation and truthfulness and, and important uh, restrictions that allowed the consumer to have confidence in what they were reading or hearing about that firm. They went from not being able to advertise to being able to advertise. And one of the things they did first was they turned to some of the most proven traditional marketing strategies, which even though they didn't seem to fit well at the time, and maybe still don't, law as a profession, the Yellow Pages was among the favorites. And so lawyers were huge, from a percentage standpoint, huge advertisers. And I think that limousine drivers may have been the only other category that was as well populated. But lawyers who were willing to make the investment, and it was sizable. I mean, you paid, obviously adjusted for the the value of money in those days, but it was a very big investment to have a full-page ad in the Boston Yellow Pages or in any major city. And it worked. To a large extent, it worked because it was a place that the consumer, less so for business, I believe, but the consumer could open the book and find a lawyer. And so lawyers had to use iconography, images of the courthouses and scales of justice and bald eagles and whatever it was that was evocative of, of the legal system. And 
consumer really had a very limited ability to gauge that particular lawyer's strengths and experience. All they saw was icons and a big phone number. And so that was really the game. Till some real forward-thinking lawyers who were probably more marketer than lawyer started turning to the most traditional marketing strategy of the time, and that was television and radio. And that was a big change, to have lawyers on television promising you uh, all sorts of things. And I think that from that moment on, the marketing of legal services was really divided into two worlds, those who advertised and those who didn't. And both sides could make a pretty good argument for why they felt the way they did. A lawyer who was advertising was saying, look, I'm just trying to introduce people to my service and to the quality of work that I do. There's nothing wrong with that in any area of business, and I don't see why law should be excluded from that. The other group said, look, I don't want to be somebody who has to go to the airwaves to generate new cases. I think that if I'm good at what I do and people see the results that I have, word of mouth should carry the day. And even here we are, you know, how many years after since 1977, and still, I still think that that mindset is pervasive. You're either an advertiser or you're not. But what changed in the 1990s was the advent of the Internet. Because when the Internet came out, all of a sudden, a new feature was added to marketing strategy, which did not exist before for obvious reasons. The Internet allowed you to showcase the cases that you've handled in the past by having links to case reports and to you know, other successes. It was being crafted by the law firm selling their services, so you had to consider that as a consumer. But for once, a, a consumer could say, hey, this lawyer has actually handled a number of cases just like mine. Same topic, same area of, say, medical malpractice or dental malpractice or podiatric malpractice which I would have never have known about from their yellow page ad or the 30-second television or radio spot that they paid for. Here I can research their specific experience and figure out for myself which law firm is best for me and my case. That was a huge, huge change. And although the Internet and websites really became available to everybody in, the, in say, 1994, 1995, in my opinion, having been actively involved since that time, I'm, I created one of the first websites in the Boston area. I've, I've been involved in this stuff for years, and it was very slow to load. It could take it could take thirty to, seconds to two minutes for the images to fully get propagated. But you know, still, it took probably five more years until the notion of a, of a website or the, be, the benefits of a website were really understood by law firms to the point where they made significant investments in them. And they did. I mean, law firm investments in web, uh, particularly web optimized. And for those listeners who are not familiar with optimization, optimization is simply making your website more responsive to Google's algorithms and models that rank the websites by relevance. So if you have a non-optimized or poorly optimized website, it may finish on page four of a Google search. Only Google searches are so incredibly efficient that these days most people don't go to page two. They find what they need at the top half above the fold of page one. So optimization isn't really an, it's not really an option anymore. It's really a, it's a mandate if you want a result that you can be proud of. And that means that people are seeing your website and deciding whether or not the positive results you've had at your law firm are of interest to that 
consumer, then you're going to have to do it in a way that brings it to their attention. So a lot of money has gone into that and a lot of effort. And frankly, it's a bit of a stra it's strange science, weird science, because nobody really knows what Google's doing on any given day, and we all are trying to figure it out. We're all trying to kind of make some sense of this madness. And I think that some things have been understood well enough to deliver some meaningful results. But if you're looking for the, uh, that sort of turnkey solution where if I do X, then I, w I should finish at the top and have the greatest number of eyeballs looking at my website and therefore calling my firm, it's not that simple. It, it requires constant work and attention. Google is, well, I should say the websites are hungry for content. They have to be refreshed with new material, new articles, uploads of new content on a regular basis for Google to continue to deem that site relevant. As a result, law firms such as Parker Shear, which have somewhere 10, 11 lawyers right now, you know, are constantly writing new content. We have an in-house legal marketing group whose job it is to make sure we have content up on the site on a very regular basis. And it works. It definitely works. It's worked well enough for us to manage that burden for our Las Vegas office and for our Rhode Island office. But it is not turnkey. It's a, a very, very time-intensive and demanding endeavor. The first websites really were nothing more than sort of a, a static. That, well, it is dynamic in the sense that you could change it. But it was an electronic brochure, an electronic business card. The 2.0 version really came when you know, there was an opportunity to send email through it and to be able to post questions that went through the email system to the firm and had some other bells and whistles that were attractive. I think that Frio uh, now is really meet the lawyer, and that's the, the age of video, which we're going to feature um, strategies for making the electronic marketing strategy via the Internet that much more effective. Tools, strategies, and other useful ways of increasing visibility. As a Suffolk grad who's extremely proud of Suffolk and everything it's done to the extent that we can ever be of help to students or to graduates who are starting firms, we welcome the opportunity to do so and our, our contact information is available online at parkershear.com. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.